0: My text, my text this evening is, is found at the very, very end of the psalm. psalm. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my days life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Words uttered, of course, by, by David, David, known as, as the sweet psalmist of Israel. Israel. Not, Not just, just as the psalmist, but he was called the, the sweet psalmist, psalmist of Israel. Israel. Something very lovely about David as he penned the psalm. Of the sweetness and his character and his, in his life and certainly, and certainly in, in his, his hymn, hymn writing. writing. You'll, You'll
1: notice, notice that, that he speaks, speaks with these, these words of confidence.
0: Surely, he says, surely, surely, most certainly, it means goodness, goodness and mercy. mercy. Going to follow, follow me, all me all the days of my, days of my life. life. In, in fact, fact, every statement, statement in this psalm is full of assurance. assurance. But, but strange, strange to say, it's, it's this same, same David who said in 1 Samuel 27, I I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. It's the the same David who said in Psalm 119, My flesh trembleth for fear of thee, and I I am afraid afraid of of thy judgments. We find find that David had quite quite a broad broad range range of experiences experiences and and feelings feelings during his time on on earth as as a pilgrim. pilgrim. I have no no doubt that he he had proven the Lord on this very issue over And And over again. again. So So when he said, Surely surely, goodness and and mercy shall follow me all all the days of my life, he was convinced convinced about about that in spite of his many misgivings and fallings of faith.
1: But how do you find find David expressing feelings feelings that stood in contrast to that confidence? Sometimes David could say,
0: Lord, by by thy favor, favor thou hast hast made my mountain to stand strong so that I shall never be moved. But he says, just, Just next verse after, after that, that, thou didst hide thy face, and, and I was, was troubled. troubled. I'm, I'm like a strong mountain, immovable. You can't shake me. me. But you, you hid your face,
1: and you I was shaken. shaken. I was, I was, was troubled. troubled.
0: Another time, time he says, By thee have I run, run through a troop, and by my God have I leaped over a wall. That's Psalm 18. But then Then you find find David crying crying out from from the depths of his soul. The enemy hath persecuted my soul. soul. He He hath smitten my my life life down down to the the ground. ground. He hath made me to dwell in darkness as those that have been long dead. Sometimes David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. Magnify the Lord. His name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. But then, on another time, he says, "My soul is cast down within me. I will bless the Lord at all times. My soul is cast down within me. So what are we to think about, David, in this kind of decal and hide? He certainly experienced a whole lot of change
1: in his feelings. But was there any
0: change in God? Was there any change in the truth of God? Was there any change at all through all that he faced? Was there any change one micron in the mercy of God? In God's goodness? Did did God change in his faithfulness in any way? I am the Lord. I change not. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. That's what he says. I don't change. You change continually. You're up and down like a yo-yo. You ride the roller coaster. I never change. while there's no change in God, there was certainly great change in David, as there has been great changes in us. When he was not enjoying the goodness and mercy of God by the influence and the operation of the Holy Spirit in his heart, that there was a great change in the feelings of his soul. And however we may dislike, the changes that all of God's people experience, we got to remember that David said what he said about all those who never experienced such changes. We thought about this last week in the message, because they have no changes, therefore they fear not God. Now, since the fear of the Lord is the very beginning of wisdom, it's elementary school. It starts right there, the fear of the Lord. I gather we have learned to fear the Lord because we've been taught by God through these changes in our feelings and our experiences. We would like a nice even keel ride throughout life. We would like the boat to be always sailing smoothly on the water, but it's not God's way of developing us. He's not made us robots. We are human beings with feelings that alter, that will change with circumstances. Part of the sanctification process in life is that God would grow us so that there is, in spite of all the changes of life, more of an even walk or an even ride in the boat, you might say. At the beginning, it might be that everything, like the disciples, you don't care that we're perishing here, the boat's filling with water, where we are being brought along so that we can get to the point where the boat fills with water and we see it. But we remember that Christ is in the ship and everything is all right. Everything is all right. Those who have not been taught by the Lord, and all of these changes know nothing of their own emptiness, of their own lack, and nothing of the Lord's fullness, nothing of the Lord's ability to calm the heart in the midst of all the changes, the challenges of life. They know nothing of their own ignorance and nothing of Christ as the light. They know nothing of their own weakness just as they know nothing of God's omnipotence. Nothing of their own sinfulness as any more than they have a knowledge of Christ's holiness. They never will and they never can understand These God sent changes. But now David says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I have no doubt that when David penned those words under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, his heart was under the divine influence of the goodness and mercy of God. He felt it. He felt it. In fact, he just said, My cup runneth over. The cup of blessing is just running over with the Lord's goodness and mercy. I want to reflect just for a few moments this evening on the goodness and mercy of God that has followed us for his people all the days of our lives. This goodness and mercy has followed us from the days of our childhood and in God's own way of time to this present moment in time. He has preserved us in all of our wanderings away, in all of our backslidings, and our departures from his side. The Apostle Peter speaks of the stirring up of the minds of God's people to put them by way of remembrance, and with God's help I want to do that for you this evening and for my own self. Just to look at how God's goodness and mercy follows us all our days. How this actually, what it actually looks like in the life, what it's looked like in your life and in mine. Let's remember this. First, the goodness and mercy of God stopped us in our rush to hell. To borrow the words of Eliphaz in Job 15, we all drank iniquity like water. We drank iniquity like water, just like a man long and thirst for water. We were thirsty and longing for sin. We wanted to drink at its fountain. Kept wanting more and more and more of it. because it never quenched the thirst, you see. Fact is, we loved our sin. No matter what grief and trouble it caused us, brought into our lives, We just loved our sin. We were on the broad road that would inevitably lead us down into hell, a place where the thirst for sin still exists, but there is no way to even give it a little temporary satisfaction. What was it that kept us from being engulfed in the world that we were living in and loving and pursuing? What was it that kept us from being swallowed up by its pleasures and its loves and going on and on and on until last we would sink down into hell? It was nothing more than the goodness and mercy of the Lord that kept following us, the unfailing love of God that kept after us.
1: God's goodness and mercy
0: off of that road and put us on the narrow road to life. And we've been on that narrow road ever since. But God who is rich in mercy for the great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins. Christ died for the ungodly. Are there not many of your relatives? Friends? Perhaps former friends? Friends? People you went to school with, you went to college with. And as far as you know, they're still living in sin. They're
1: still making this
0: mad rush for hell. They don't have any interest in coming to church with you. They have no interest in reading your Bible and hearing about your God.
1: So why why were you stopped? It was the goodness and mercy
0: of God that stopped you. As the Apostle puts it, such were some of you, after giving this long list of sinners of all sorts, such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The Lord's mercy came to you. Stopped stops you dead in your tracks. And when the Lord reminds us of this, as he's obviously, for his own reasons, doing this evening, and enables us to see his grace and his loving kindness and his power, his tender mercy, we're compelled to say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. The Lord didn't see anything good in me because I drank iniquity like water I was pursuing it I wanted that life but the Lord's goodness and mercy had other plans for me and for you It kept following us and still has secondly the goodness and mercy of God follows us teaching us to look for Acceptance in Christ alone. To look for God's acceptance. I'm right now the Lord's acceptance. It's very, very true that people in general are looking for acceptance just from other people. We, we want people to accept us. We don't want to be rejected, to be thought ill of, to be an outcast. We want people to like us, and we will sadly do all kinds of things to get them to accept us. That's a whole nother kettle of fish, but the root of the matter here has to do with our acceptance before God. And God's goodness and mercy follows us by teaching us to look for acceptance in Christ alone. Now, just how the Lord does that can be, usually is, very painful. But the truth that we have to learn is far more important to the Lord than any pain that we have to feel, have to go through. You see, such is this love that the Lord has for His people that they can never come with acceptance into His presence. Apart from his well-beloved Son, there is no access to God. There is no approach to God except through Christ. He says, you stay away. If you don't come through my Son, you stay away. The only way I can be approached is through Jesus Christ. There is, you know the text well, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. You don't have access to the Father, but through the Son. No man that cometh unto the Father, Jesus Himself said it, but by me. No access. Can't get to Him for prayer. Can't get to Him for blessing. Can't get to Him for forgiveness apart through the Lord Jesus Christ. But in spite of that fact, well testified, our heart has certainly tried our flesh and blood has often tried hard still to get something with which we can bring before God we can we can feel that the Lord accepts us and by by that something I'm referring to something that the Lord is smiling upon me and the Lord is pleased with me. It can happen, and you'll understand this, uh, on a, on, a, on the horizontal relationships. If if we can just sense that so-and-so is pleased with me, so-and-so is happy with me, then ah, that feels so good and we're just content and that's what we were looking, wanting all along. And if we think that they're not pleased with us, they're not satisfied with us, and we're agitated and bothered by it. Well, you lift that up to a spiritual level. It's It's, it's, it's trying to gain that sense of the Lord smiles upon me by bringing something else, getting to him through something else, someone else other than Jesus Christ. But you see, when... When through the goodness and mercy of God, you come to see your own unworthiness, your own inability to ever do anything that would make you acceptable and a delight to God, that there's nothing in you and, and you feel the, 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 the awesomeness of God's holiness and the, the sovereign majesty of God, You understand like never before, there is nothing you could ever do to make yourself acceptable to him. Nothing. You come to see by his goodness and mercy that without holiness, you can't approach him and it's got to be the holiness that he alone, he alone gives. You realize that you can't obtain it yourself. You may try hard to get holy thoughts and have holy feelings and you will try to be humble and you'll try to free yourself from sin. You will try to be more watchful. You'll try to read your Bible more and you'll try to pray more, be more faithful in the work of the Lord, be more consistent. The hope is that by attaining to these more thoroughgoing attributes of Christian life, you might have something with which you can please the Lord. I'll do better, and I'll be better. And then I'll find assurance and peace of mind and heart. It's nothing more than trying to get acceptance with God through the strength of your own flesh. And God rejects it out of hand every time. So what does the Lord do in His goodness and mercy? There you are trying to be more consistent, more prayerful,
1: more faithful in your Bible reading, more humble, more
0: Christ-like. Well, the Lord has this, this, this interesting way of making you feel just the opposite you You find that you have a vileness, a sinfulness deep-seated, you find the flesh is still alive and well. His goodness and mercy gives you sights of your sin and of your proneness to wonder. You get a glimpse of your own coldness of heart you He gives you a glimpse a glimpse of his own holiness. And then you are certainly smitten to the soul, and he makes the Lord makes you feel your poverty and your wretchedness and your guilt and your misery. And those are good things. They're painful, but they're good things. When you look into your heart and you see those things, You say to yourself, What goodness and mercy of God can there be in me to bring me to see and feel so much barrenness, so much sinfulness? You see, that's where you have to get to that place where you realize it is nothing but the righteousness of Christ that is. My ground of acceptance is the only way I can approach the Lord and know beyond all doubt that he is pleased with me. No other way. He's pleased with me. Might be a lot of people not pleased with you. You see, at that point in time when you realize, listen, I'm accepted in Christ before God. The Lord is pleased with me because he's pleased with Christ and I am as hid away in Christ as anything that could ever be and he therefore takes delight in me. It really does not matter who else takes delight in me. I am not saying for one moment you go around just trying to offend people and say, I'm accepted by God. He delights in me. I don't care what you think of me. I'm not suggesting that for a moment. But it sure does deal with that worry about what do people think of me. It's what the Lord thinks of me. And I know what he thinks of. Don't you think for one moment he doesn't see all the sin that's still there. He sees sins I'm completely oblivious to. He sees sins in your life you haven't even laid eyes on yet. You're ignorant of them. (laughs) But he still says, hey, my goodness and my mercy is going to follow you all the days of your life. And I'm going to teach you through my goodness and mercy that your only ground of acceptance before me is in my son Jesus Christ it's because he's well beloved to me that you're well beloved to me and no other reason and no other reason you see it's it's goodness and mercy that god teaches us not to look for acceptance and any other thing but the righteous robe of his Son, his righteousness. He puts a stop to it.
1: Somewhere along the way,
0: the goodness and mercy of God comes in and just puts a stop to the thinking that we're going to find delight from God in us because of how well we've done at living the Christian life.
1: You know, it's actually
0: outlandish that we would even entertain such a thought ever so secretly that we've done a good job of living the Christian life. When a child of God is blessed with understanding of that truth, when he has a firm hope, a firm hope in Christ's righteousness, in salvation, in sanctification, in glory, when he feels the Holy Spirit bearing witness with his spirit that he is in Christ, then how God's goodness and mercy just melts his heart. And it draws out his soul to the Lord. The Lord's goodness and mercy, thirdly, follows us all the days of our lives by delivering us from our idols. Have you ever been shocked when you've read those certain portions in the history of the patriarchs or in... Isaiah the historical books where it's almost out of the blue the Lord is dealing with his people and they've got a great man of God on the scene and in some way shape or form you find out he says but now put away your idols has it ever struck you you
1: have idols
0: but then I remember As Calvin said, our hearts are idol factories, continually
1: producing idols. We're great at making
0: idols. What the, what the Lord
1: said to those two men on the Emmaus Road could be said to us, O fools.
0: Reality is... No one should be the chief object of our delight and our desire, but the Lord Himself. But such is the weakness of our faith, such is the strength of our folly, that we're often very guilty of setting up some idol or another in our hearts. Things that we never thought we would ever be found guilty of were found guilty of. things that we admonished our children about, warned them of, we find they've become our idols,
1: things that we take delight in, that we pursue. And the
0: Lord doesn't take delight in them because they're idols. Well, the Lord's just not going to have it. He says, I am a jealous God and thou shalt have no other gods before me. Sometimes we obey and find that we need no one else, no object other than God. He's sufficient. He satisfies all that we need. We're happy. We're content with Him. But at other times, we set up these idols and we raise up some idolatrous object after another, after another in the heart. Oh, we may all the while be reading our Bible and having family devotions and going to prayer and asking God to cleanse us from sin and to be given grace so that we can delight in the Lord alone. That's on the one hand. Yet all the while we have this idol on the other. It could be a child, a husband, a wife. It could be business.
1: Something that swallows up our attention, that pleases our flesh.
0: Like Israel of old, we are ready. Let's not get too harsh on them. We are ready to dance around the golden calf.
1: These are your gods, O Israel. But as I said, God's not going to have
0: it. He says, I will cleanse you from all idols. That's part of the covenant promise of God. I will cleanse my people from idols. And he cuts them off one after another. All the while the child of God is passing through this particular manifestation of God's goodness and mercy, when the Lord cuts away his idols, tears them down, be a very painful experience, mind you, but he does that, the child of God can look upon that which is really uh, an expression of God's uh, goodness and mercy, uh, and he'll think it's God's wrath and his anger. He doesn't think that He can be brought to adore and worship God by something that just has brought him into misery.
2: Isn't that what poor old Jacob was thinking when he wanted to take Benjamin back to Egypt to get food
0: for the family? He says, Joseph is not. He thinks he's dead. Simeon is not. And will ye take away Benjamin also? He didn't think anything about the goodness and mercy of God that was in all of that. No, he said, all these things are against me. There's no goodness and mercy of God here. And I am telling you, when you make those statements, in essence, there is no goodness of God in this. There is no mercy of God in this. You are are flagrantly, flagrantly defying God to his face. Jacob was finally brought to see the wondrous mercy, goodness, and love of his God, and he found that that goodness and mercy followed him all the days of his life. On his deathbed, he says to his son Joseph, the blessings of thy father have prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors unto the utmost bound of the everlasting hill." The Lord has blessed me. His goodness and mercy has followed me all the days of my life. Maybe I'm describing somebody here in our assembly this evening. You've been tossed about lately by very trying times. But without them, where would you be? The trying times so often are sent by God to knock down the idols that you set up in your life. Things that have more importance to you than the Lord. You have more time for the idol than you do for God. We would keep setting them up. And if we just keep Setting up our idols, I'll tell you one thing, we would, at the end of the day, prove to be nothing more than base hypocrites. We just have a profession, but no reality. So God's goodness and mercy is going to follow us all the days of our lives to see to it that we don't have just an empty profession. And I know that. The Lord will take whatever
1: measures he has to take. So he cuts away at our idols.
0: He takes them out of our lives. And it brings us grief. But that goodness and mercy of God will eventually bring us at the end to say, all is well. It will bring us to renounce our idols. Get rid of the idols. You see, the Lord Loves his people dearly, and he brings them to love him dearly. But there's a problem with the idol because it gets in the way of us loving the Lord dearly. We're trying to have a divided heart, to split our affection, and the Lord says, I'll have none of it. It's all of your heart I want.
1: Not a divided heart.
0: And so he has to take the axe and cut down the idols that we raise up. And we end up here we are tonight. I don't know how many years I've been saved, but a lot of them. But
1: I can say here the truth the Lord has helped me. Hitherto. Right, right at this, this point. Let me tell you that if you have any idol
0: standing between God and your soul, if you are setting your affection upon something else or someone else more than you are God, God is going to cut it off. He will destroy the idol.
1: Your hope, your joy, your protection, your peace of
0: mind, Your godliness, everything, will be found in no one else but the Lord. Think of Jonah, he will make all of your gourds to wither and perish, sometimes in a moment.
2: Is it not right that he should?
0: Is it not right that God wants our hearts devoted to him?
1: There is no love like His.
0: I'll tell you the fourth way in which the Lord's goodness and mercy follows His people all the days of their lives. And that He supplies all of their need.
1: If I can, I I think,
0: speak for you tonight if you're one of the Lord's people, it's not been because of our faithfulness, or our watchfulness, or our submission, or our patience, that has been the reason God supplied our needs. God supplies our needs, whether they are spiritual or whether they are temporal, out of His goodness and mercy.
1: That's that's who He is. <laughs>
0: You ever found yourself in a place where you have some pressing need, and the thought crosses your mind on more than one occasion the Lord is not going to meet it because I just don't meet up. My love's not what it should be. My prayer life's not what it should be.
1: My Christ likeness is far from what it should
0: be. And the Lord is just going to. Let me suffer with this need. But but when God as a father is pleased to chasten me with his rod and to test me by sending dark providences into my life, carnal reasoning begins to work. And the devil begins to work and I'm, and I'm sure you, sure you found yourself sitting in Jacob's chair and saying, hey, there again.
1: You look upon the Lord as an enemy,
0: a very kind and passionate Father in heaven
1: who knows just what you
0: need and when you need it and how
1: much you need it. You have harsh thoughts of
0: the Lord. And the devil comes along and he he chimes in, well, where is your religion now? Where is your faith now? Where are all your testimonies about God's love for you and his care for you and your joy and your peace? Where are all your rejoicings now? You see, when the Lord, <laughs> when the Lord grabs you by the collar and just begins to shake you, you can't see any way of deliverance
1: but everything is
0: dark and trying and perplexing and you don't know what to do others are doing well all things seem to be going against you however at such a time as like that a text may rise up in your mind (laughs) The prayer of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. My prayers must be an abomination
1: to him. I must be wicked. When you get into a place like that, you can find your soul just sinking into the depths of despair.
0: You believe that you'll never see the Lord's supply. Whether material or spiritual needs. But the fact of the matter is, brothers and sisters, we have a lifetime of testimony that says God has supplied my every need. There is no promise from God that he will answer every prayer that I send to him, but... I do have a testimony I can hold before God. Even in the face of all the despair and the unbelief, I can say he has supplied all my need.
1: Can't you say that? Must you not say that?
0: Yeah, there's been hard times. (laughs) There's been times when the cupboards, whether the spiritual cupboards, <laughs> the spiritual cupboards or the physical cupboards are bare, and yet the Lord has in his own time supplied the need. You've gotten down to that last bit of meal, like the widow's fat, enough for one last meal. You've got down to that last little small vial of oil as the prophet's wife, her husband died, and she got there. But then the Lord, in His
1: goodness and mercy, has followed you to that place, and He's met in the need.
0: You've reached a place where you need faith
1: to trust the Lord. And everything everything you're you're seeing says don't trust it. And you thought thought the faith faith is not going to come. But it It came came at God's time. And you You believed. And the great peace settled over your soul. This is the story of his goodness and mercy.
0: What goodness and mercy is it that the Lord should have supplied in his own time and way to such discontented, rebellious, ungrateful as we have often been, and yet he said, every need I will supply.
1: I don't understand it. I'm glad for it. But I don't understand it. Even when we have been filled with discontent and with murmuring, when we have been riddled with unbelief, the goodness
0: and mercy of God has come in. And the father says, "Listen, I remember your frame. I know your dust. I know all about your unbelief. I know all about your weakness. I know all about those sins. You think no one else knows about? I know all about them. You think they're hidden away?
1: I know. But you're my child. And I'm going to see to it that
0: my goodness and my mercy are going to follow you. Our hope does not depend or hang upon our goodness or what we can do, but upon God's goodness and what He can do. We all can leave here tonight no matter matter what you're facing.
1: And I I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're dealing with. Sometimes I don't know what I'm dealing with. And I know the Lord knows what you're dealing with and he knows what you're going through. He knows what you're facing. And you can walk out of here
0: tonight absolutely confident, surely, surely goodness and mercy is going to follow me all the days of my life, right to my grave.
1: And the Lord still gives me presence of mind and I have the ability to speak I want to be able to testify
0: to those around my deathbed His goodness and His mercy has followed me to this point and it will lead me home God write His word on our souls for His name's sake bow our heads in prayer and seek the Lord together let's all pray Father in heaven, in Jesus' name, we come at the end of the Sabbath evening. We feel so inadequate, Lord, to preach upon the goodness and mercy of God. It is so profound. It is it's something more certainly better felt than tell. But we pray, Lord, for every one of thy children who have heard the message this evening, whether in this sanctuary or in the webcast. It must be a people, Lord, who needed to hear it. And I pray that thy spirit now will come and write this truth upon the fleshy tables of their hearts. And they will know, they will know that God is not against them, but so much for them. And they'll always be a people who experience God's goodness and his mercy the mercy that endureth forever. In Jesus' name we pray.
1: Amen and amen.